Hi guys, welcome to Self-Evident Podcast number 31. Remember, I do not do the dance when Massey is not here. I'm sorry, you're going to miss it this week. Jonathan, are you disappointed? Yes, Jonathan was disappointed. So, (laughs) a couple of housekeeping tips. Don't forget, we are on iTunes, we are on Spotify, we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, Instagram, we're on all of that stuff. We're also on our own website, theselfevidenttruth.com. Guys, go there, check out our stuff. Remember Massey, well, he'll be back by the time this airs, but be praying for him in the future. You know, before you hear this, pray for him because he's in Ohio right now. Um, He'll get back from the homeschool convention. Guys, it's really exciting that we're able to connect to the youth, connect to the next generation, so we can talk about social issues, we can talk about the Constitution, law, government, philosophy, psychology, like all of this stuff. They have questions, and we really want to connect with them. So if there's any way you can help us do that, please, by all means, whatever you can do, even if it's just sharing the posts, sharing the YouTube videos. How long have you been with Revive Church? I've been here since the beginning. It's from the very beginning. Yeah, eh? yeah. So. so we're pushing, I think, six years. All right. Yeah, yeah. So Pastor Todd had actually brought up your name. Um, and it's interesting because I haven't had a chance to really just sit down and chat with you and, and kind of get to know you. You know, I've, I've met you a couple of times, and I remember the men's retreat last year. You know, I, I got to meet you, and... Uh, when Pastor Todd had told me a little, just a sliver about you, I, I was interested. And then you told me about you, <laughs> and <laughs> and it it sparks me. Um, one when you and I were texting back and forth, one of the things you had told me was that international artist, mm-hmm. um, PhD in Jungian psychology, mm-hmm. um, and you, you really have a passion for social issues. And and I've got to be honest, it was the psychology thing that really turned my wheels mm-hmm. um, as well as as it sounds like you've done a lot uh, so just quick summary notes tell tell me a little bit about you and and what brought you to this point of doing such interesting things yeah. in your life awesome awesome yeah. thank you mike i'm thrilled to be here i'm i'm really pleased for the invitation oh the honor is mine yeah <laughs> I, I love revive church and when we found revive it was like uh actually when we found pastor todd and and pastor jan it was like uh, that in itself was really a transformation yeah. in our lives uh so a little bit about me i was born and raised in michigan uh, i grew up in a home with uh, a lot of strong women Okay. My dad was in the home, but he didn't really have the skills to be a father. And I think that's largely because of what he experienced as a kid. And so it wasn't really until I was in my early 20s that I began to have a relationship with my father that was meaningful. And then in my 30s, I really reached out and I made a point to to connect with my dad. Um, So I grew up in a in a uh, automobile industry town in Lansing. Okay. And most of Lansing uh, was uh, involved automobile making. Um, I was born in uh, the late 40s. So I was born kind of at the end of the World War II. Yeah. So I have a lot of of, uh, just experience hearing my uncles talk about the war when they served in, in Europe and when they were fighting the Nazis and um, so I've, I've come to really appreciate even more the 
freedoms that we have as an American and what my uncles and our forefathers fought for and what I've witnessed over this past number of years is a really breakdown in community, breakdown in society, breakdown in the values that are really on what our country was founded on, the biblical principles. And when I met Massey a couple of years ago, and he did a presentation at one of our retreats on uh, the Constitution and the origin <laughs> of that, it was such a, an amazing refresher course for me. Yeah. And I became even more impassioned and, and more aware of how our society has changed through uh, the process of, if, if I go to the 60s, um, the women's liberation movement. And they certainly had a, a lot of really valid issues with domestic abuse and uh, just a lot of things that were really significant to what I felt were important. But I think over time, the, the, the sincere interest in women's rights and women advancing in our society was kind of hijacked by more of the militant women. Mm-hmm. And I saw... Um, in our culture, in television. I can look back and see how men were portrayed in television, in movies, in television sitcoms, in advertising, how we have been portrayed as really buffoons. We don't really uh, have the skills as a father, as a husband. And so in many ways, we've been treated as though we're just another child in the family system. And so... One of the things that I really love about Revive and our men's ministry is that we're really taking a look at that, and we are growing men now of what we call men of valor who are becoming strong men, leaders in the home, leaders in the church, leaders in the community, uh, leaders in the workplace, and and walking it out, you know, really stepping into their destiny um, that God has called us to. So... I think from that perspective, I've just seen a lot of things change. I've seen um, and uh, political correctness. Uh, I think there was a place for that early on yeah. to, to just foster more respect. But then I think that's become hijacked to where now we're really, they're stepping on the air hose of freedom of speech. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's, yeah, that's really a good yeah. picture to give it. And, and so, uh, sadly, I've had a couple of relationships with uh, buddies that I've known for years that we were just so um, impassioned about our particular perspectives that uh, two of the guys just stopped having connection with me. Really? Yeah, partly because I'm a Christian, partly because I believe in Christian values, uh, conservative. Uh, I wasn't always a conservative. In fact, uh, most of my family members, my father, my brother, uncles, cousins, uh, nephews, were largely uh, Democrats. And after the previous president in those eight years, I can tell you that a lot of those people are now have, have turned either into more of a libertarian or they have voted for the conservative party. Really? What, what do you think kind of pushed them? I mean, there was a lot that conservatives saw 
during those eight years mm-hmm. that they they recognized this and, and conservatives <coughs> went, I don't like this. Um, from the other side, what kind of what was the the final straw that kind of broke the camel's back for them? Was there something you noticed a commonality? I th- I think again when you look at uh, the Democratic Party, and I will say throughout my adult life, I voted for the man and not the party. So yeah. there's been times when I when I voted for for Democrats. But I think that the Democratic Party is no longer what it used to be when I was growing up. In fact, one of my heroes was uh, John F. Kennedy. <laughs> Who'd be a Republican I mean, today. <laughs> oh, my gosh, he was phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, so when he was assassinated, I think I was a junior in high school, and that was devastating for all of us. And then uh, another hero of mine was Martin Luther King, Jr., and then he was uh, assassinated in 68. And at that time, I was in the Michigan National Guard, and we were called upon riot duty to go to Detroit and, oh, yeah. and uh, really manage that, that whole thing. But what I'm saying is that the Democrat Party is no longer the party that my parents believed in. Um, a lot of my relatives were in the unions. And again, a lot of good things happened as a result of of the labor unions. I can remember my dad talking about that. But again, now um, the Democratic Party, the Liberal Party, the left progressives, however you want to label it, really has has lost touch, I think, with with the Americans, with the American people. Yeah, you you watch, you know, we've got kind of this trio, and, and Massey and I had talked about them last week, this trio of Omar and Ocasio-Cortez and um, Tlaib, who uh, they're in the spotlight and they're popular as far as the media. They're kind of media darlings um, and they're extremely progressive. And I think Bernie Sanders paved the way for that. He he made progressive socialism palatable for a lot of people. And and there's there's the walk away movement, which is people who are walking away from the Democrat Party because it's like you had said, no longer what they recognized. Um, do you, so it's interesting that you grew up forties, right? You, you know, you started in that time period where that was, everybody kind of looks to right after the war as the real something happened. You know, there was some type of big shift within a couple of decades after the war that yeah. really got the wheels rolling. Right. Yeah. Um, so I I want to take you back to that because you you grew up through those decades, and to see where you were and where we got. Do you think there was something that was kind of driving it? I mean, we all we all pick something out, right? And we tend to be attracted to one idea of what was probably driving this monumental change. But did you see threads or commonalities that moved through those decades? that helped spur this on, you know, was because some people use the loss of the loss of God or religion or or the growth of the economy and getting comfortable or the feminist revolution. You know, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, so (coughs) was there did you see anything or do you look back and see kind of some commonalities that pushed it along? Mm -hmm. Well, I yeah, the the things that I see is or are, um, again, the breakdown of the family the uh, glamorization 
of women, the objectification of women. And I go back to Hugh Hefner, the, the Playboy magazine in the 50s. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then in, six, in the 60s, it was uh, uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. And I saw then and know of a number of people um, that, that, that had abortions. Um, I saw people walking away from the church. I saw um, I think in that developmental stage, if I just to jump into the psychology yeah, bus please. for a minute, go for it. You know, from age 18 to 22, we're really looking at as men and women, as young men and women, where are we going? What are we going to do? Yeah. And I think a lot of that, again, I'm going to use the word hijacked was hijacked by uh, the increase in awareness of uh, drugs, mm-hmm. uh, LSD, um, marijuana, cocaine, all of those things I didn't really experience until after Lynn and I got married. And by experiencing, really? I don't mean I ex- used all of those, <laughs> but uh, I certainly did have a problem along the way, which I'll get into a little bit later. But... Um, it started to become more of a free love. And I can think of uh, Baba Ram Das, who is a big uh, in the in the transcendental uh, Buddhist world. Yeah. There was, uh, that was Richard Alpert, really, who was a Harvard professor. Uh, and he uh, connected with Timothy Leary, who was uh, the, the acid king. I was going to say he was the LSD yeah. Yeah, guru yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah, so those guys were really prominent in our culture. I went to actually uh, in 1972 or 73, I actually went to a, a, a convention or a, whatever it was called where, Ramada, where Ram Das was the speaker in, in Miami. Hmm. And uh, I got to tell you, it was very seductive in a kind of a spiritual way because I had stepped away from my beliefs in my church, although I did not not believe in God, but I stepped away from my walk as a Christian. Yeah. And some of those things were really enticing and interesting. And, oh, and then I began to look at religion. Well, that's a crutch. And so my worldview of religion began to change. And I think a lot of young people go through that. I think Billy Graham had a son who went through that. So um, in terms of myself and how I see other people, peers of my age, I think that was was another factor. And then then you bring the Beatles into into the mix and the Maharishi from India. That's true. That was a huge influence. Yeah, they they really made him palatable in the West. They, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously the groundwork had been set, but they, they really promoted and pushed him as somebody for people to look at. Yeah, you know? and I remember uh, on the evening news that uh, the Beatles were being interviewed, and John Lennon said, we're, we're more popular than Jesus Christ. I, I've seen and that it's video. Like, it's wow. <laughs> jaw-dropping. Now, right? Yeah, and bear in mind, I was not a church going guy at that time, but I found that really offensive, Yeah, you know, deep down. So uh, culturally, those are kinds of the things that I think that have slowly kind of come in. Although th- 
the, the music from uh, Britain w was huge in 1964, 65. That was such a big wave. And then we had another big wave of British music in the 80s. Um, so I think culturally there was that. And I, and I want to go back to then Ram Dass and Be Here Now and Smoking Weed and all the meditation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lynn and I got involved in transcendental meditation for a period of time in the 70s. And I found that uh, on one hand, very different, very refreshing, very relaxing. But then as I got into it, you know, when you empty your mind out and you're in this zone of nothingness, if you will, mm -hmm. you're really open to the enemy big time. In fact, one of our friends says, you know, when you're in that transcendental state, what's going on in your mind? Who's coming after you? Yeah. And so we, uh, we stopped doing that. And, of course, years later, we repented of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting to hear that because I went through really the same stages in my college days. And funny enough, my musical influences were very much Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, these, these um, very psychedelic styles. Yeah. At the same time, exploring meditation practices, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, Taoism, you know, like, because I had, I had decided, well, I like Christ and I like the idea of Christ, but it kind of came down to that whole, there's truth in a little bit of everything. Exactly. And so let me go out and explore <coughs> the truth in these different things. And, um, one of the things that woke me up was, I had read about a study that showed that psychedelics will activate the same area of the brain where spiritual experiences happen, mm -hmm. uh, which is the pineal gland, right? And when that woke me up a little bit, it was like, okay, so there's a commonality between spiritual experiences and psychedelics. Yes. There's, there's, there's something here. And, when I there's a verse and unfortunately I'm going to have to just summarize, but Christ says those who don't enter through the gate are thieves. And for whatever reason, that took on a meaning of if I'm getting spiritual experiences that aren't through God, I'm stealing these spiritual experiences and I don't know what I'm opening myself exactly. up to. Um, <coughs> you get plenty of Native Americans who talk about battles in the spiritual realm with spirits and, and also spirit guides. And I, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but <laughs> um, there's, I'll bring it to a point there. I was watching a show with Morgan Freeman. It's like finding God or something. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I always tried to kind of stay away from it. And I happened to be on one night and he was with a native American tribe and this girl was going through her, her spirit quest into womanhood <laughs> which uh, he talked about they have this whole basically psychedelic, psychedelic experience, and he obviously wasn't allowed in the actual ritual. But she came out and she said, I know my spirit guide is in me now. I can feel mm. it. And that, like, that, yeah. what are, you know, people are delving into stuff they yeah. really just don't understand. I've got a great you know. story on the Indian Native American culture. My niece has a son who is now probably 12 or 13 years old, 
And for a number of years, he had a lot of anxiety, anger. He was acting out in school. And um, we, we had been praying for him. Mm. And for some reason, I was given this thought, I wonder what they might have in their house. Hmm. If there could be anything that's attached in, uh, with the spirit in their house, so they they live out in Wyoming. So one of the first first things I thought are they on any burial grounds? Yeah. Uh, no. So I asked my niece, "What what kind of things are in your house?" So she named off some things, and then she she named off a dream catcher. And I went, really? I said, okay, I'm going to invite you to take that dream catcher and remove it and destroy it from your home. So she did that. There has not been a problem since that was removed. Huh. And I feel so strongly about how spirits can be attached to things, yeah. whether it's from India, Haiti, wherever. I think we have to be mindful of what we're bringing into our house innocently. Yeah. Because what you said, there's a little bit of truth and everything, you know, like that. And uh, someone said to me, there's a little bit of truth in all deception. Yeah. And that really has uh, stayed with me for over the years as well. So we were, Lynn and I went through a, a house cleaning process a couple of years <laughs> looking for things that might be, hmm. And, you know, we felt a shift in the, in the spiritual sense, in our home, after removing those things. Amen. What were some of the things that you ended up? Uh, one was this really cool uh, paper mache animal that was made in Haiti, huh. and Lynn bought it for me for Christmas, and we had it in the living room, and we just loved it. And as we're growing and learning more things about the attachment to spirits and yeah. whatnot, suddenly how we saw that uh, paper mache animal, we began to see that animal's got a stink eye. Huh. You know, he was kind of like, hmm. Yeah. And it, it's just a shift in our awareness. We got rid of it. Yeah. Uh, we had some other things, uh, things that belonged to Lynn's father, Masonic badges and things that had been kind of, um, not heirlooms, if you will, but important things that, that Lynn had. And so there's a lot of things we got rid of. We had a rug uh, that was made in India. It was a beautiful rug. And we saw patterns when we, when we began to look closely of faces in the rug. And, you, and I swear that when we removed that rug, I began to sleep better. Really? Yeah. I mean, I completely believe it. There is spiritual attachment to things. That's why there's voodoo markets exactly in, in places like Haiti. Yeah. You know? And what's interesting, I think, culturally is that we have a lot of people who, of all ages, who will experiment with Ouija boards yeah. or they'll go to seances or psychic readings mm -hmm. and... Um, but they, they, they get so engrossed in that and they believe it, but yet they doubt the validity <laughs> of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've wondered, I feel like we're at the end of the age of reason. <coughs> I, I think reason has kind of run its course and, and I'm sure there are 
atheists that'll scream at me. No, no, you know, but we had the enlightenment. We've got the age of reason and kids especially are searching for spiritual experience, spiritual meaning. Yes. Um, and more and more there's a passion for the spiritual and that Wicca is on the rise and witchcraft and paganism and, and new age, which is really old age, you know, <laughs> all this stuff is on the rise. Kids are yearning for it. Young adults are yearning for it and they're willing to do the Ouija board, but not willing to believe that God is in control because it, it I think it pulls some of that, pride independent strength out of them if they have to submit to god you yes know? yes so it's 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 interesting that you you point that out and i wonder if you know maybe you can shed some light on it but i wonder if the 60s was really kind of the the start of the fire of that i believe in i can't see without a doubt it was completely responsible for all of it but it certainly was a big part of it yeah. again for the things we talked about uh, Buddhism, Taoism, all of the Eastern philosophies, religions, uh, experimenting with drugs, all of those things which were really kind of a chic and the, and the thing to do and, um, and whatnot. Now, I want to just come back to when I was searching for an alternative to Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and I, I too searched uh, Buddhism, Transcendental Meditation, did a lot of reading, talked to a lot of people, and none of those things could ever satisfy within me the validity or the genuineness of it. Yeah, it's always in in that realm. It's always believing in the ethereal. It's mm-hmm. you know, if you live well, do right, all of those kinds of things. And when I came back to Jesus, I was six months sober. Uh, and I rededicated my life to Christ, that was a profound moment because I realized an old metaphor. I can hang my hat on that. Yeah, That is genuine. I can believe it. It's real. All of this other stuff is false. It's false direction, right? Yeah. And it's what I found was there was a concreteness to Christ that none of these other things had. Exactly. Because I, I could always, even, you know, getting into Buddhism and, and starting to learn stuff, I always had an out because there was never real consequence for me. Right. You know, like it was, <coughs> eh, I'll do what I want to do and, you know, what I don't want to do, I don't have to worry about, which was the same problem as to why I started searching. Because I was looking at Christianity right. as, yeah. well, yeah. pick and choose. So it became having to sit down and go, it's either the concreteness of Christ and accept all of that, or I'm going to keep floundering and looking for the rest of my life. You know? Yeah, and, I, and I'm going back to one of the friends that I, I've known for 20-some years who uh, he decided that we're no longer going to have that relationship. Hmm. Um was talking about, well, in my next life, when I come back as, so the whole reincarnation idea, and I said to him, Joe, why would you want to come back 
and go through all this again. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Hmm. <laughs> Did he have a response? <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Wow. And I think part of that, too, is it allows us in our mind to not have to take responsibility for our actions. Yeah, because what, what immediately what I heard was, well, later on, you know, well, next time. Yeah, exactly. You know, which yeah. that's it's tough to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I want to I want to segue a little bit into your psychology background, because mm-hmm. I think this is an interesting time for that. Um and to go back to the death of the age of reason, I think, you know, you would be better served to kind of explain Jung quickly, in, just in a dirty sense for our listeners. So if, because you said you had a Jungian background, correct, mm-hmm. in your psychology. So if you want to just kind of explain his thought process and how that makes that field of psychology different from other fields. Well, I think with the Jungian, you know, it's um, if I go back with just a little history on it. Uh, Carl Jung became a colleague and really kind of a um, student, if you will, although I don't know that he would admit it, to Sigmund Freud. And they had uh, a relationship for a number of years, a a professional relationship. And I think what Jung did is he took a number of things that Freud developed and then uh, developed and expanded them. And for many years, I was really um, totally into the, to the Jungian psychology. But I, I will also say that as I progress in my walk with Christ, I began to see things differently <laughs> in that realm, too. I would love to delve into that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So with, with Jungian, in a nutshell, for how I applied it, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's vast, and it's way more than we have time for. Yeah. But what I took from Jung's theory is that, and it's attached to the unconscious mind, which we all know is, is, is real. It's not airy-fairy stuff. We all have that unconscious mind. And everything in our unconscious mind is there from the time we're born, even before we're born. When we're in the womb, we can hear sounds. And so everything we've seen, heard, or felt is in is in our mind. And what happens is the unconscious mind does not discern time. So what happened to you five minutes ago is floating around in this goulash or something that happened to you twenty years ago. And so when we look at helping people in the therapy world, it's helping them see and make connections from the here and now that are influenced and impacted by the past. For instance, if Lynn, and I'm going to use Lynn, my wife, as an example, because as I said earlier, I grew up in a very strong matriarchal family. There are a lot of strong women. And for a number of years, I had authority. I had issues with authority figures who were women. Hmm. Um, so let, let's say for instance, oh honey, I come, I come home, did, did you take the, did you happen to think, take the trash out? And I go, no, I didn't take the trash out. So that was a normal question that my mom, that my mom, Freudian oh, slip. There you go. <laughs> and we get to that in a minute. So with that, I was projecting onto Lynn, 
my mother, that relationship with her. Yeah. So when I look at that, that, that question that happened, did you take the trash out, was attached to something that probably when I was seven, eight years old, my mother really got on me big time because I didn't take the trash out. So in the, real, in the reality of, honey, did you take the trash out, on a scale of one to ten, ten being really traumatic, that was probably like a one, right? Yeah. But when my mother said it, did you take the trash out, you worthless, whatever, that became an, that became an eight or a nine. So I have that eight or nine attached to a one, and now that's a 10. And I'm reacting to a 10, not responding to a one. Yeah. So when I began to use those principles in helping people see and, and make those disconnections, their relationships got better. They were able to uh, interact better with their family, siblings, parents, set boundaries, and more importantly, be able to interact with their spouses in a, in a healthier, less confrontational way. So that's part of the, part of the Jungian uh, thing that I, that I used. The other part that Jung came up with is, you know, we all have a dark side. And so one of the goals of therapy was to help us find out what shine the light on the darkness yeah. So we can see what's thin there. See what's going on. In yeah. There. Yeah. And then, then I can acknowledge. Well, I have the capacity to say really mean and hurtful things to people, but because I have the capacity, I'm going to choose not to do that. So I was using the metaphor of that. What we call that the shadow, of, you know, of the personality. Um, so I would say those are probably the two of the biggest things that I used uh, regularly. Okay. The other thing is that when Jung's talking about the shadow side and shining light on it, when it hit me that the light is Jesus, I don't need the light of Jung. Good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, one of the things I was thinking about when you were describing this is the concept of spiritual healing. Um, healing prayer, sozo prayer, and, and we've we've got a section of it here at Revive, um, which it, it seems to move along that strain. Now, obviously, I, I truly believe there's spiritual connection in spiritual heal healing. Yes, so I'm, not, I'm not trying to give just psychological reasoning for what's going on right, spiritually. Right. But the idea of disconnecting the one from the, the nine is... At the same time, a, a spiritual concept as well of if if I don't recognize somebody as their own person and I only see my mother through that person, then I never I never see them as God sees them. Right. So if if I separate and I go, no, that's not my mother. This is a completely independent individual. This is a person with a separate soul and spirit. Yes. I can start to see them as God sees them. And, and really Christ is the one who shows us that. He's yes. The light that shines on the darkness, yes. you know? Yes. Um, and I, th how, so now that you're at this point in your life, um, how much of the Jungian psychology do you still 
hold on to or value or, or has there been a lot of shedding off of that as you walk with Christ? Mm-hmm. I have shed an enormous amount of that whole Jungian philosophy yeah. from from my practice. Well, not really in practice, but people that, that I might counsel here at church. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I think the things that I still use that are valid is the how the unconscious mind works, how everything is attached to other pieces in our life, experiences and whatnot. And I also have this cool little thing uh, in my office, or actually I don't have it in my office anymore, but it was a uh, kind of a little sculpture that had a bunch of, if you will, different fingers coming up. They were actually sticks. And at the bottom part, there was this, this, this black kind of foam piece that separated from this uh, combination of colored sticks representing the conscious mind, the here and now. Hmm. And underneath that platform were just two or three, and that represented the unconscious mind and how all of these things that we uh, experience in our life cause us to react in a way, but it's really driven by the unconscious past. So I often use that just as a teaching and now it's really about utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit. To delve into the, especially the, the memories or the triggers or, or the thing, you know, because thinking about spiritual healing prayer, one of the directives that they have in asking the questions is what, what memory or what event caused this exactly you know yes and when you get the holy spirit involved in that it becomes a very simple yet profound process that takes and remedies rectifies resolves whatever that situation was it becomes now an historical fact versus something that has an emotional attachment to it so it's kind of like looking at, well, here's the book of my life. It's full of facts versus watching a movie of my life where I can see all the emotional being played out. Hmm. And once we're able to see that, we can separate that and realize, well, yeah, that was, that was that, okay, that happened. I was beaten by my dad. Okay, that happened. But I don't have the attachment to that anymore. Yeah. It's, it's a fact, but it does not cause me to operate in a way that causes more pain or more dis- discontent in my life. Do you think that's where the the weakness of secular psychology in, in that process, um, where secular psychology kind of has to fall apart or end because it's, it's only with Christ that you can properly evaluate that event or that moment, you know, is, is that kind of where the, the divide happens is well, what I, you do with that? I think for, for me, I don't know if this is going to directly answer your question, but both Lynn and I got so frustrated counseling in the secular world because we knew the answer was Jesus, yeah. was Christ. 
And because of the ethical considerations that the various um, organizations place against therapists, you can't really talk about Jesus yeah. without you know some kind of complaint or whatnot. However, Lynn and I used to plant flags. So, how you been? Great. What'd you do over the weekend? Oh, I saw my aunt, and we went to the fair. What did you do? Well, Lynn and I went to church yesterday. It was awesome. Amen. And then if they start, now we can open the door to a conversation. Yeah. And then if we find out, either from that kind of exploratory statement or question, then we, then we can probably delve into that. But the thing that I notice, and it's not a scientific research, but just by observation over the years, couples who were believers and active in their church and active in their faith got their problems resolved more quickly and more thoroughly. Amen. Without a doubt. Amen. And that's something that I would say to people who were believers. Yeah. And and I, I taught high school for a year before, you know, this past school season. So now I'm working for a roofing company. Um, and I had this conversation with my high school students. And I said, it's always amazed me when married couples who don't have Christ stay together for the long term and are very happy together. And I'm not, I'm not demeaning them or or discounting them, but the idea is if I don't have God between my wife and I, I'm putting my faith in her that she'll make me happy. Whereas if I've got God, I'm looking to God for my fulfillment, for my trust, right? And I have trust in her that she's looking to God, not only for fulfillment, but also for accountability, right? And so if we have an issue and we're both believers, we can, we can both look to God to help keep us accountable in dealing with each other. Absolutely. And secular couples just don't have that. No. And it amazes me that no. they make it on the long term. I, I know. <laughs> and, and what you just described reminds me of this triangle that we used to use. So if you imagine this triangle, and at the top is God, and over here is the husband, over here is the wife, as they grow closer to God, as they move up the triangle, they grow closer huh, together. That's good. I like that. And that that is just a phenomenal thing to watch happen. Yeah. I can testify and speak in, in our own marriage. Uh, Lynn became a Christian in 19... 19- 2001 and 2001 that was the missing piece in our relationship and when she be when she became a believer and we started going to church and growing it was amazing just amazing what happened and how our marriage has gotten even stronger and it's not to say that our marriage has been easy because we've been through some stuff together as all couples do but the belief in Christ, trusting in Christ, and has helped us through uh, physical stuff, uh, uh, health issues, emotional stuff, certainly my drinking. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? Uh, j- just the relationship stuff. So, so that was in 2001, and here we are, 2000. 19. Yeah. And the it just gets better and better and better. We just celebrated 51 years. 
Amen. Congratulations. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Mike, (laughs) it has just been awesome. Just been awesome. Anyway, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) You know, um, because what, what you were pointing out was the inherent importance of Christ to the problem or to the solution for the problem. Yeah. Um, I, what does the solution tend to be in the, in secular psychology then? Because they, they don't have Christ and, and the, the faith and trust in Christ to carry them to that step. So mm-hmm. what tends to be the, the directive or the solution? Let's say somebody has a traumatic event where they've been beaten when they were five. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. then there are th- different processes and whatnot to treat, say, post-traumatic stress, EMDR, uh, hypnosis, um, neurofeedback, a number of things that mechanically, if you will, can help medication, which is always the last avenue. Yeah. But there's certainly times when people need medication. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. Um, whereas, so to answer your question, they, they might find a certain level of stability and never grow beyond that. So yeah. they just maintain, maintain, let's say 10 is perfect optimum. And I think most of the time we're going to operate between 8 and 10 believers um, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, amen to that. <laughs> um, but a lot of people may may get to to a five. An example would be, I had a Vietnam veteran uh, who I had seen probably ten or fifteen years after he got out of treatment, and it wasn't with the hopes of him getting better. It was the hopes of him maintaining what he had. Yeah, I mean, yes, I would hope he would get better. But often in the secular realm, if you don't have the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there's only so far you can go in the secular realm of therapy and whatnot. And I want to be clear. I think therapy is great. Lots of couples need it. Uh, Men particularly, we need to get out of our pride. And and if we want to get get better in our relationship, want to get better with ourselves, we have to go after it. And, and yeah. I will say one thing that we've been doing at Revive is the love and respect uh, course that we've been teaching. It's uh, just about to conclude uh, week 10. We're going to do that a couple times a year. And that's a biblically-based, Christ-centered uh, course to help people in their marriages. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up especially men um, because I want to go down that path a little bit. Uh, I'd like to ask you how much you've followed or been aware of the whole Dr. Jordan Peterson phenomenon that's that's taken place in society. Yeah. Um, and especially y- young men who are, are really attaching to him. Mm-hmm. So I just want to, you know, are you aware of it? To what extent are you aware of this? Yeah, you know, well, you because know, he's when, you, when, when you mentioned <laughs> him in the text, <clears throat> I was familiar with his name because a friend of mine, a colleague, that we taught together at, at uh, the university. We had dinner a couple of months ago, and he said, oh, man, i got to tell you about this guy, and he mentioned his name. And so I, I had watched some of his, uh, one of his videos, and I've read some articles about him. And while there is controversy about him, I think he really 
what he's saying resonates with a lot of people. Absolutely. You know, especially the, around this issue of political correctness. Yeah. Um, I, one interview I watched, the interviewer worked very hard at making what he said incorrect. <laughs> so he kept saying, that's not what I said. Yeah. This is what I said. <laughs> so, um, and he did mention, you know, the value and the importance of raising up strong, independent young men. Yeah. Back to that 18 to 22, I think he actually mentioned that, you know, early 20s. Because that's the stage when we're, we're trying to figure out who we are. I can tell you between 18 and 22, I probably had 10 or 15 jobs. And out of those 10 or 15 jobs, I found out about a lot of things I didn't like doing. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to do. I think some guys uh, kind of have the ability or however <laughs> life just plays it out. They... they graduate, they go to college, they don't go to college, they go to a trade school, and, and they're set. But that's not, that's not the case for all of us. No. And so I think it's really imperative that we're raising up in this next generation strong men. And I will tell you, I'm going back to uh, the feminization of men. Mm -hmm. And I heard T.D. Jake say a number of years ago that the devil is out to kill the man. And so, you know, that's evidenced by rampant drug use, all the things, pornography, all of those things that come at men and women and really come at to destroy us. Yeah. And I think there is now, I think there is a shift that's taking place as evidenced by uh, this man's ability to talk about the political correctness. Yeah. And how wrong that is, and how it's this the the foothold on the on the on the air hose of freedom of speech, and uh, all those things. He makes really good points, and they're not they're not sexist, they're not misogynistic. They they're good solid points. Yeah. Men are different than women. Men were born with certain sets of plumbing <laughs> and women Wait, were born. Wait, you're telling me the bodies are different? Is yes. that what you're saying to me yes. right now? Yes, and I'm here to tell you they're the same today as they were when I was growing up. <laughs> that can't possibly be true. I know, and genetics bears that out. <laughs> that's that's the you know I've I've thought a lot about this the the especially the transgender thing and and I definitely want to stay on the vein of men because man that's a passion of mine but I've thought about this if if hormones if we point to hormones as the effect of aggression or pride and and we consider hormones causing toxic masculinity that means biology drives gender Right. That that means biology is connected to gender. So gender can't be pure social construct. Now are there fringe influences on social con social construct fringe influences on the genders? Yes. But that's you can't have a gender without the biology to direct it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the hormones and, and the body and, mm -hmm. and the chromosomes. The chromosomes are the Base part of it exactly. <laughs> so you can go 
one can go through the whole transformation of switching gender identity, the, the hormones, the surgery, all of that stuff, you're still a guy or mm-hmm. you're still a woman. That remains the fact. And in my experience, I have counseled men and women who have struggled with their sexual identity. Um, a colleague of mine, gosh, 20 years ago, who was uh, uh, openly lesbian, talked about her partner. Um, we were talking, and I said, well, when, when did you know that you, know, you felt like you were a lesbian? Yeah. And she said, well, uh, actually, it wasn't a fact that I felt like it was. I just made a choice to be in a lesbian relationship and had prefaced that, or no, I'm sorry, followed up with that, that she'd been married to a police officer and was in a very abusive relationship, physically abusive, alcoholism, all that kind of stuff. And I think that is true. Now, I say that from my experience talking to other women who have been in same-sex relationships. There's usually a trauma that Mm -hmm. precedes that. Often these traumas happen in childhood. Often they happen without any collective memory of it. But nonetheless, back to the unconscious mind, it's driving a lot of behavior. And so my friend said, if my partner died or if we broke up, I I would probably date a guy. So she said to me, I I don't think we necessarily, you know, not all of us believe that we were born that way. So that takes me to then... um, this whole realm of spirits and the spirit realm. And this is what I've learned in the last five or six years is that we can be a man or we can be a woman, but we can have spirits in us and they can be uh, a spirit of feminism, a spirit of homosexuality. Um, it can be any number of things. Yeah. You know, it could be schizophrenia. It could be uh, bipolar. And uh, I don't know if you know Samuel Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. He he was, um, he's written a book. I don't recall the title now. I'll get it for you. But he yeah. talks about uh, how he had experienced um, men and women who had had the spirit cast upon them of bipolar disorder um, homosexuality, all of yeah. those things. So when we look at some of the very harsh Christians who really call people an abomination, that is really hurtful because while it is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord, if we look at it as a spirit, that person has the spirit. Yeah. And that spirit is the abomination, not that person. And I think a lot of people who are troubled um, with their sexual identity really struggle with it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've experienced, again, in the clinical setting, uh, a number of men and women over the years that have really struggled with it. Some have tried to um, uh, fully accept it, but, but not. And, and there's one case where... One man uh, 
ended up taking his own life. So it's it's really really sad, but yet there there is freedom. But we have to, I think, as individuals, have compassion and love for any any we we're all dealing with something. Yeah. And so I've had uh, over the years. Uh, in the art community, in the in the counseling community, there's there's lots of different sexual identity stuff going in that you know where people are working in that field, and so I've had friends and colleagues. Um, I love them, I pray for them, uh, but I think you know we have to be the face of Christ, and. The last thing they need is to be shamed for something they're already carrying tremendous shame about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, again, the couples that I've dealt with uh, are usually very unhappy. There is a great deal of promiscuity, especially in the gay community. Um, there's, yeah, there's a... a In Romans, God talks about giving people up to their desires, and and sometimes Christians use that to kind of you know see he's he's let you be whatever you want to be, but there's also a very sympathetic, empathetic um, angle to that as well that we as Christians need to take, and in that I mean, if somebody has said God's not going to be in control of me. I'm I'm a master of my own destiny. Mm-hmm. <coughs> They've opened themselves up to jumping across the boundary line and then running free. I mean, why do we keep sheep in pens? Right. We have the boundary of the fence to keep them protected so they don't get lost, so they don't get eaten by wolves, so they don't fall off a cliff. If somebody jumps the boundaries of what God has set, they start searching around and especially you know like you had said the art community um very liberal progressive communities all of that for the most part they they say i'm not going to be controlled by god's fundamental rules or fundamental laws well then there's the exploration that takes place and the confusion that comes along with it yeah and so they've they've opened themselves up to this to all of these possibilities of issues and and one thing you had said about you know the the usually it's a traumatic event or or something in the past that a lot of times sparks this um mm-hmm. i've i've heard that from several different sources and that there's a very high correlation between um especially homosexuality but also transgenderism and an event or a series of events in the childhood that <coughs> really could be all of it could be traced back to that yeah you know yeah. and and we think about it when somebody's wounded and when they're damaged who well knows what i do, i know? asked um way back when when i i asked uh one of my supervisors um her opinion on uh homosexuality and especially around gay men yeah and she made a point, which I think is interesting, is that if we come out of a home as, as a boy and we don't have 
a father that is validating, that is loving, mm -hmm. that is biblical. Um, or if we come out of a home where our father's been really abusive and, and, and done horrible physical things to us, there is a part, I think, of men who are looking for validation yeah. from other men. So I think that might play a part in it. Yeah, I, I've heard that as well. Yeah. That that's, you know, I mean, what do I know? But <laughs> I, I've heard yeah. there's a high correlation of that yeah. as well. Now, yeah. I want to uh, mention uh, a man who left the homosexual lifestyle. Um, he spoke at uh, the local university probably about 10 or 12 years ago. His name is Cy Rogers. And he stepped out of and walked away from the homosexual lifestyle. He's <laughs> now married. He has kids. Yeah. And uh, I think he's now, I was talking to someone today, and I believe he's now living in uh, New Zealand. But he's had a whole ministry of helping men step out of that homosexual lifestyle. Yeah. So my point in saying that is that it's absolutely possible. Yeah. And he's got a great story and a great testimony. Is it, and, and people don't have to be trapped. Um, Massey and I have talked about one of the, it's, it's really a messaging issue that I think Christians have the absolute ability to, to tackle in a really great way is from the left or, or from the progressive side <coughs> of things, people are told, this is your identity. You are gay. You are homosexual. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that's the first thing they are supposed to introduce themselves with. Hi, I'm Ron. I'm a homosexual. You know, and when you create that as the identity, that's all they are. Whereas a Christian can has the ability to say, "No, that's not your identity. That's not who you are. Right? You are a creation of God's. Sexuality is so much farther down the list of what makes you you. And it's almost like, you know, Christ. Christ is the only one." who can break that chain of identity and sexuality, you know, that Satan has, Satan has really thrown this chain and, and you see it with transgenderism. Yes. You know, it's, it's all in your identity. You are transgender. You know, you are male to female or you female. No, no. Your identity is in Christ. Right. That's what it's supposed to be. Well, and then on that, it just reminds me of how the left has been pushing God out of the country for years. Mm -hmm. And I remember our previous president saying that America is not a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that fired up a lot of my relatives. Really? Yes. Uh, because also there were a lot of Christians in my family. Uh, we used to have amazing family reunions and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, I know that it was one of the things. And then... The other thing to answer that question you asked a while ago, um, the bringing in of so many Muslims, mm -hmm. um, and God bless them, because yeah. I, I know God loves every one of them, but the strong Muslim communities in Dearborn, in Chicago, and other areas that have really gained strongholds and now have positions of power in public office, uh, I know those are some of the things that my relatives were reacting to. So they they recognize that as well. Of it's a a, a clash of cultures, really. A yeah. Clash of clash of ideologies, clash of of 
political systems, you mm-hmm. know, it, Islam is an all-encompassing system. So, well, so, like in Dear, I'm from Michigan, so in Dear, I am too. So I'm from Grand Haven. So. Get out. Yep. Oh yep. man, I was at Grand Haven <laughs> Beach two summers ago. Were you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, then you know Dearborn is oh, yeah. really pretty much a Muslim uh, community now. They have the prayer uh, call to prayer five times a day over loudspeakers. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a no-go zone for the police department in Detroit yeah. and whatnot. And we're just seeing more and more and more of that happening. So. Um, I'll put a period on that comment and then go to back to the transgenderism and the homosexuality and all these things. Over the last 10 years, what I've seen and read about through the literature that's come across my desk is communities, one was in Boston, and, then, and now it's, there's even more of them pro, uh, uh, prolifically happening, where children, is, even as young as grade school, are now being exposed to... Um, encouraged to experiment with same sex, the kissing and all that stuff. They are even, I I read, oh, I I don't remember what journal it was. It was just recently that in one of the grade schools, uh, parents were protesting that they were going to have a class on human sexuality and talk about anal sex and oral sex and all these things, and the parents were outraged. Rightfully of so. Of course. And so you're talking, I think the percentage of transgenders is really 0.06 to maybe 1.5 out of 327 million people. Yeah. And so it's something that's being promoted by the left. Yeah, you hear about it all the time. And if you ask a random person, they probably think 30, 35% of America is transgender, you know, yeah. just the way it's it's pushed to us. Well, and they have yeah. a, a huge political uh, clout now. Yeah. And when you look Absolutely. at television and commercials, you're seeing that more on secular television, more same-sex, not what I would call inappropriate behavior but it's definitely a same-sex couple enjoying something and yeah it's pretty obvious and there's usually one gay or a gay couple on almost every television show now yeah. and if it doesn't happen at the we were watching a, a show that debuted uh this last season and it was about episode six and the gay person you know that character identified as being gay so uh, it's really part and parcel of, of our of our culture now. Yeah, and um, we'll we'll wrap this up on this last topic. I think that it, I'm a big fan of history, and I'm a big fan of civilizations and cultures how they <laughs> rise and fall. And I truly believe that the way of the man is the way of the civilization. So when the man starts receding and falling and weakening that's when the civil civilization goes you you look at like greek civilization the art towards the end of really the greek strength period men had gone from being you know the art depicting them as muscular type powerful bodies into very young 
effeminate, smooth bodies mm-hmm. in the art. And, and there <coughs> seems to be this play through civilizations. And what you're noticing in, in especially Western civilization is the loss of the man. And that's why Jordan Peterson is so popular right now. Is yes. Men want meaning. Yes. Men want strength. They, they, they want something bigger than themselves to believe in that you know there's no right of manhood anymore yeah. in western civilization exactly and that reminds me of a book that i read uh in the 80s called iron john by robert bly who is a, a poet and and an author and we actually had men's groups form secular men's groups to honor each other and really kind of create a rites of passage and some hmm. of it was based on Native American stuff. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, I was involved with this group. We had one in West Palm that probably went almost a year. Wow. And it was really to affirm our masculinity, to uh, encourage each other as men. And that was a powerful thing. I saw, I saw grown men weeping, weeping around the father wounds that they had experienced. Hmm. And so I say that to bring us to what we're doing here at Revive. Exactly. With our men's ministry, the inner healing ministry, that we are, the men are becoming men of valor. They are stepping up to and stepping in to that area where it's really uncomfortable for us to talk about our pain. But out of that pain becomes redemption and freedom and healing from that. And so that's, that's the beautiful thing that's going on with the Holy Spirit in our church as opposed to something I saw 30 years ago that had power. This has the power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what excites me about what Revive is doing with our men because I'm so thankful for that vision because that's, that's really <coughs> a direction or a passion of mine as well as we've lost the the drive of masculinity and we're, we're losing what makes western civilization so great because we're losing that and revive has really planted its fat flag and said no <coughs> spiritual men are strong men spiritual men are, are powerful men yes and powerful and strong men are ones who will defend their loved ones defend the oppressed defend the orphan and the widow they they stand at the gates they they they're the watchmen on the towers, right? Yes. And that gets into Islam moving its way in and, and growing in certain areas is men are, are still in a strength position in, in Islam. Men are still in a exactly. powerful position. Yeah. yeah. And if we don't get <laughs> if, if we don't get back the the true strength of Christ in our men, which is Christ is more powerful than anything else on the face of the earth, yeah. correct? So yeah. Yeah. if our men are following Christ like we're supposed to be and we are, we are standing in that strength, nothing can come against us. You know? and, and people want to take a crap on the Crusades and all of that, but those were men who were fighting a defensive war to protect their loved ones. Yes. And Christ had built that strength into them to protect their loved ones. Now, 
is Muslim conquest lasted for what 400 years before the Crusades started. So like they had 400 years of getting their stuff yeah. together. Yeah, you know? yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm glad you brought that up. Of like Revive is doing it, and I'm so thankful for that. So if I if I can put in a plug, absolutely, <coughs> by all Excuse means. Me. Last year we had our inaugural Men of Valor conference where we had. Congressman Brian Mass speak, Pastor Todd speak, yeah. Pastor Polk was here, and we have five or six, four or five other powerful speakers. That was really well received. And what we're doing this year is we've invited here at first Dr. Ted Roberts. He is the facilitator of the Conquer series. Really? He's going to be our keynote speaker. Awesome. On Saturday, Jeremy Wilds, who produced the Conquer series, <laughs> Pastor and I had lunch with him today, and he accepted our invitation to be Amen. a speaker. And we have coming from the White House, a spiritual advisor to President Trump, Kelvin Cabarrus. Wow. So he'll be here uh, Friday and Saturday. Wow. And... Another thing that's really cool, we've been working on this for over a year. You know, last year we did the battle plan. Yeah. We had a 10-week series based on a message that Pastor, Dodd, uh, Pastor Todd developed. And we selectively picked men to uh, expand each one of those points that Pastor Todd spoke about. And he called it the checklist. Mm -hmm. And the checklist are 10 things you do in, in uh, addressing the personal problems and whatnot. And I'm sitting in church hearing him talk about that, and I'm going, man, that would be a great thing to do for our men. Yeah. So out of that 10-week series has come Revive's book that's in process now to be published, Battle Plan. There we go. Based on Pastor Todd's message, but we have 10 wonderful speakers from in our church body, men in our body, that have written a chapter and Amen. spoke to us, and that will be available also. So our conference is June 14 and 15. I hope I have the correct dates. You guys better be there if you're in the area. That, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's the weekend of Father's Day. Okay. So it's Friday night from 6 till probably 9, and then Saturday morning from 9 till maybe 2. Okay. So it's going to be powerful. And we have great speakers coming, and this is the kind of thing. And now we go back to the Crusades and all that stuff. This is how, as men of Revive, are raising up to be the men of valor at home, in the church, in the workplace, in the community. Amen. And the, the, the hope of the world is in the local church. Absolutely. And Revive has claimed Martin County as a territory. I don't know if you've heard this story or not. Yep. Yeah. You know yep. how we went out and marked Put it the for post. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Amen. we're going after it. Heck yeah. We're going after it. So and we're already uh, planning our fall uh, weekend retreat at Dunklin in November. So. Good. Great stuff. Great stuff coming our Awesome. Way. When when will the book be ready? The book will be ready by uh, at the conference. Okay. Perfect. And people will be able to get it online. At, yeah. Yeah. At we're going to have uh, be able to get it online and get it at the at the conference. All right. Now, I, I want to add something, if I may. Absolutely. You know, I retired from uh, 
secular therapy, Lynn and I, probably four or five years ago. And I really am now devoting, aside from my love at work here at, at Revive, I uh, am now active in the art community here in Martin County, a member of the Artist Guild. Yeah, we did. Uh, into that. Just doing all <laughs> kinds of cool stuff. And I, Lynn and I, Lynn and I were both art students way back when when we when we first met. Yeah. And so, in the art world, I'm known as Terenzo Gan, and that name okay. was given to me by an Italian sculptor. We did a project for an airport, way back when, and uh, Chris Sakela started calling me Terenzo. And <laughs> so that stuck. So uh, I got a website we're building. Uh, really cool stuff is happening. This is such a great time in my life. Is is the website terenzogan.com? Is it's Terenzo it? at terenzoart.com. Terenzo at terenzoart.com. Yeah. Guys, go there now. <laughs> Pause it, go. No, and, and I would love, if you'd be willing, I'd love to have you back sometime and get more into the art realm of things oh absolutely as, as well as everything else oh yeah i about, you know. art is such can i have two minutes yeah absolutely <laughs> you got all the time you want i'm here they want it they probably want to go but i'm here yeah <laughs> i'll shut off the camera okay um <laughs> we lynn and i discovered uh, as a result of being involved in revive this whole other element of art creative arts called prophetic mm. art and Lynn and I have stepped into that in a big way. And Pastor Todd and the church are fully behind it. And we're just yeah. doing really cool things. So we have now established a creative arts department. Cool. Uh, we've got six or eight uh, talented artists, various skill levels. Uh, we've got a, a writer, a couple uh, writers in there. Um, as you probably have seen, we have a gallery downstairs. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we're just... I'm in the midst of mounting a show uh, where the assignment was for each one of us to do an 8 by 10 painting from a word that we got from the Holy Spirit. That's and cool. And the name of the show is One Word. That's cool. And so that'll be up probably within the next two weeks. I got okay. some graphics to get in and whatnot. Yeah. But my point is that I have seen, I have heard of, people who have been healed from the prophetic arts, from paintings, testimonies of, of people who have been, who have had their sight restored, hearing restored, um, things just broken off. And Lynn and I are going to an arts conference in uh, the middle of May at Bethel at their creative arts conference. Yeah. So I expect to bring back a lot of really cool stuff. And Very one cool. of the things that we're declaring with the creative arts at Revive Church is there's going to be healing as a result of that. And I can attest to, and I'm going to protect identity, but there was a painting that I did for some uh, uh, someone some time ago, and I have seen transformation in their lives like unbelievable. Amen. Unbelievable. So... Um, be on the lookout because we're going to have a, 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 a web page on our website that you can go to. Uh, Jonathan and I have talked about uh, how that's going to look. So yeah. It's going to really be awesome. That's very cool. And that circles our conversation completely back around because we were talking about negative spirits being attached to works of art 
and sculptures and pieces. Great point. Why can't God be using the power of prophecy through art? Through and what I do, creation. What I creation. do, and what I <laughs> encourage the other artists and our team is to, when you're doing something specifically for someone, to write specific scriptures on that canvas. And then you can cover it over so it's not seen. And then for those, uh, just about every work of art I do, it has scripture on it or in it. So wherever it goes, look out. Amen. It's really cool. I love that. We'll definitely have to talk about it more next time. Yeah. All right. Guys, remember, check us out. iTunes, Facebook, Spotify. You can find us online. Just search Self-Evident Podcast. Um, Next week, Massey and I will be back in. So, guys, you have a great night. Thank you so much. Love you guys.